Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast, brought to you by Women in Data. My name is Sadie St. Lawrence, and it's my pleasure to be your host for these weekly interviews where we share inspiring stories, thought leaderships, and discussions to help you excel in your data career. At Women in Data, our mission is to increase diversity in data careers, and we do this through awareness, education, and empowerment. Today, I'm chatting with Shini Mahalu, Senior Director of Corporate Engagement and External Affairs at UCLA, and Sam Borghese, Associate Director of the Masters of Quantitative Economics at UCLA. In today's episode, we discuss how industry and academia can collaborate to maximize student impact and outcomes, and how we can design projects that enable success on both the students and the industry standpoint. Finally, we wrap up the episode talking about the future of education and how technology can enable change. Enjoy. Sam, Shini, welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. I'm so happy to be chatting with you today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, very excited. This is a conversation that's near and dear to my heart, talking about academia and education. And I've spanned a little bit in both of academia and also industry. And what you guys are doing at UCLA is really inspiring and impactful and combining these two together. So I'm excited to dive into some of these topics. But to get started for our audience, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and how you found yourself in the role you are today. So, Shini, I don't know if you want to kick us off and share a little bit about your career journey that led you to this point today. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so, few things. Uh, one, it uh, was never planned not to live in Los Angeles, not to be in higher education, and definitely not to be in a career employer relations space. So, uh, my journey is quite unique. I was an international student attending my undergrad here in Los Angeles in business and economics uh, back in the day. And uh, I decided to pursue a master's degree in organization development. Prior to that, I served in the Israeli army. I was a non-commissioned educational officer, which uh, really set the tone to the rest of my career. So education was always near and dear to my heart. And uh, after graduating with a Master of Organization Development, I received an opportunity that I somewhat resisted in the beginning to um, uh, pursue a a job at uh, my university, Pepperdine, where I graduated from as a career um, uh, development professional. And, you know, I wasn't sure I wasn't I wanted to go into consulting and uh, resisted it. But the offer really knocked on my door and. And, and I said, yes. And so um, throughout the journey and, you know, thinking about the question, so it wasn't planned. And then um, I had a somewhat a unique uh, story, but then I always had a passion for people and to helping others and, you know, I love being with other people, very social and, and feeling energized by those relationships, right? And so once I started coaching students in the MBA space, sometimes 10 to 20 per day on a one-to-one basis, I I felt that, you know, I was so blessed and, and found my passion and so developed many, many career programs and uh, opportunities for uh, corporate engagement and development and 
supported students in finding their paths, which is really tough to do. You know, people many times just don't know what is it that they want to do. They are in an MBA that they're not sure why they're there. And it's so broad and it's so hard to find the niche and the next step uh, post-graduation. And I always feel very honored to be the one to support them and try to help them find that uh, next uh, step beyond uh, education. And so um, thrilled to be in this journey. And uh, somewhat recently, about a year and a half ago, I received after uh, 12 years at Pepperdine in many different roles in recruitment, in career development, in uh, employer relations, in program development, across many different programs, received an invitation from UCLA to join um, the MQE, the Master in Quantitative Economics as Employer Relations and Professional Development Professional. And I'm just blown away by the education, by the opportunity, by uh, the student and their curiosity and experience and our faculty. Um, and so continue to just do good in the world, support others, pay it forward, because my journey uh, was somewhat uh, challenging, all the visas and, you know, as an immigrant to move here. And so I, I want to make sure that I can help others with similar aspirations to be able to succeed in this um, challenging uh, environment. That's incredible. I think we need more people like you who really want to coach and guide and mentor. And it just like your passion for the space really just comes through in sharing your story. So thank you for that. Um, and Sam, what about yourself? What led you to the point of where you are today? Yeah, sure. Uh, like many people's lives and like Shanice said, nothing was planned, right? It's, it's what happens. But I grew up, I loved mathematics. That was like one thing I always knew from a really young age. I really loved math. And I really liked the concreteness of it. I loved how there was one solution and there was many ways to get there. You know, no matter what road you took, it would always come back to one place. Um, so I was actually sort of against comp sci because it seemed very arbitrary, right? It was like commands that people just came up with rather than, you know, like concrete math. Uh, but eventually an undergrad uh, pursuing a computational math degree, uh, I tried a computer science class, I tried an economics class, and I loved both of them so much uh, that I ended up getting a double, uh, you know, a, a double degree in uh, economics um, along with the mathematics. So I fell in love with all those subjects, uh, which uh, interesting story economics started because it, it was uh, somebody trying to put equations to morality, right? They were trying to understand human behavior. And that was like, you know, sort of the seed that uh, started all of economics. So uh, I think that's pretty interesting. Anyway, uh, after that, I went to uh, UCLA and I got my master in applied economics there. And it it really felt like uh, at that program, everything coming together. There's so many things in a bachelor's degree where it feels like they're teaching you how to learn or they're teaching you obedience. But uh, finally, when I got to this program, it felt like it gave me all the hard skills where it's like, wow, I could really go out and I could accomplish, I could, I could solve problems for people. You know what I mean? It really felt like so many hard skills finally came together where it's like, uh, I don't just know how to learn. I know exactly how to use these skills and uh, help other people. So uh, I got hired as a researcher uh, out of UCLA uh, to Professor Aaron Tornell. And then 
uh, me and him spun up a, a mock hedge fund, sort of forecasting foreign currencies uh, and commodities algorithmically. Um, and then finally, he, he had the vision for uh, the Applied Economics Masters uh, growing and becoming really a leader in the space. Um, so it became changed the Master of Quantitative Economics. And then he hired me to come in and design courses and teach uh, you know, the, the newest technologies, right? So I taught the first blockchain course in the economics department, uh, database management, machine learning and finance, cloud computing, right? Uh, all, all of these things. So, um, so I've been there for about two and a half years. That's where me and uh, Shani met and we've had a wonderful friendship over the time. And uh, it's just been very exciting uh, building inside the MQE. So can you tell us a little bit more about the MQE, so the Masters in Quantitative Economics? Like what, what are people coming into this program for and what can you expect to experience from a curriculum standpoint? Shani, you want to jump in first? Sure, I'm happy to. And you're the alum, and so I'd love to hear from you and the faculty teaching in the, in the classroom. But from my standpoint, and I meet with them very early on as they're joining, and sometimes during the application process, and sometimes even way before when they're prospective students, I'm attending many conferences um, and career fairs. And so I um, observe and learn that a lot of them want to advance their education, of course, and they have a passion for the field, you know, coming in. So a lot of our students specifically, they come for related areas of business, economics, statistics, mathematics. Uh, rarely I work with students that come from a psychology background or communication, and they're very successful. I have a great example to share. Um, but so they can come from all walks of life, and they have that passion and curiosity for learning and for developing themselves. And so they're recognizing that in order to get to the next step in their career, they really need to hone into those skills and um, learning the education to position themselves for um, uh, to advance uh, their career. And uh, other than that, they're definitely looking, in my opinion, for a community that is learning together. Uh, MQE is a global community. Students are attending from all over the world. It's quite incredible. Uh, they're looking for an excellent education. UCLA is the number one public institution in the U.S. And they want to learn from the best in the field. And so a lot of our faculty, all of them are recognized, uh, uh, world-known faculty. Some of them are Nobel Prize recipients. So there's that the type of excitement to enter a space where you know that you will be uh, coming out with the skills and the tools to really uh, make a difference. And now in terms of, and I'll touch on it later, but quickly in terms of careers, they want to get into consulting. They want to get into the finance field. They want to pursue a data science function, can be in any industry. And some of them want to go into technology and government. And so in the government space, a lot of students want to make a difference, like to create a policy, to change policies, to lead economics, um, uh, you know, within central banks. And so we see a lot of that, the more service oriented, the more nonprofit, the community uh, aspect of really 
potentially changing urban communities, you know, with the knowledge and education that they acquire in the program. Yeah. And Sam can speak more about the education itself. Exactly, right? Yeah, Shani explained it perfectly. The students coming in all walks of life, physics, engineering, right? Just a few she didn't mention um, that I've seen come in. And then what's interesting about this program is because students come in without an economics background, we actually accelerate everyone's knowledge over the summer. So that's what we're going through right now is we go through an intensive math boot camp and a Python boot camp. And I would say more than 50% of the students have never written a line of code before. Um, and what that does is it gets everybody to the same standing, right? So they have the math background, the the coding background, uh, statistics background, to be able to start absorbing all these more specialized courses. That's like the base knowledge um, that everybody needs to have. And then people can sort of pick and jump off from there. Right now there's two concentrations. There's the data science concentration, the finance concentration. Some people do both um, of them. But like Shani's talking about, some people will choose the data science concentration uh, to be able to go into economic policy. That's their dream. And they're just gonna be able to leverage all the tools uh, they pull from the program. So the, the first quarter is a very uh, intensive data science class, right? Uh, going through reset, uh, regression and understanding, you know, very deeply how to make that uh, non-spurious, right? How to make it uh, not fake, right? How to not fabricate results and make sure you're very confident in uh, the work you're producing um, from a statistics background. Um, and then as the quarters go on, it just branches more and more by spring. I think there's, uh, last year we had about eight different courses offered, right? Everything from portfolio management to quantitative finance to, uh, you know, machine learning uh, from a math perspective and machine learning from, you know, sort of a consulting higher level. What are, what are we going to uh, you know, what implications are really going to come out of some of this analysis uh, we're doing. So it's dynamic in that way. And I'd say it's really interesting too seeing some students coming in thinking they want to go into an investment banking or consulting background and then finding out they actually have a love for coding, you know, just like I did right before and realize, oh, I actually want to go into data science and maybe not work, you know, 70 hour days, maybe just 50 or 70 hour weeks, right? <laughs> just 50. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's, it's very interesting and it's different than MBAs in the way that every course is very technical as well. Every single course is hands-on. Um, there's at least some data integration into it and uh, some level of uh, talking participation as well in many courses. So that's where I would say it really differentiates from an MBA. It's not teaching you how to think, it's uh, teaching you how to solve. Right? Yeah, and I love this because what you're sharing is something that I see a shift happening in the job market where people are moving from titles and roles to more skills-based positions. And those mm -hmm. core skills-based positions come into having that mathematics background, the coding, the critical thinking, and just what you shared of just how diverse the students are coming into this, but then the diversity of what they do with these skills that they gain afterwards, I think is just a reflection of 
one, how great the program is, but also, you know, the opportunity of what happens when you learn these skills. So the other shift I'm seeing, though, in the job market is a lot of employers complaining that education alone is not enough for individuals and they need hands-on experience before, you know, they're ready for a job. And I know there's a lot of recent college graduates as well who are experiencing this frustration for that entry-level position that are requiring two years of experience, right? But you guys have done some really great work in having a lot of applied projects um, within the classes and then with employers in this program. So can you talk a little bit why you felt there was such a need for this applied application and, and what really makes a great collaboration between industry and um, students for these applied projects? Similar structure, Shanice sees the applied projects coming in and then I sort of see them in the weeds. So I don't know, do you want to start again? Uh, yeah, the- I'm happy to, I'm happy to uh, try and answer this question. Um, first of all, in higher education, so just an overview of uh, the application of the learning, I think it's the most important thing. And I, as I said, been in the in the industry for 15 years, and thankfully, I was always involved in programs that valued very highly. We called it education to business, right? And so I think, and vice versa. And in in MQE, we call it um, the applied project. And so, beyond teaching the foundation and the theory, we want and we have to. That's our responsibility. I feel as educators to make sure that we make uh, the connection to the application and we develop individuals that are able to go out there in the field and be able to apply their learning into solving a business problem, for example, using code, right? And Sam can talk about the specifics. And so um, there's a huge opportunity here, one for companies to bring a business challenge and to tap into the brilliant mind of UCLA faculty and students that will solve a problem for them for no cost for the sake of really learning, right? And improving upon one's abilities and um, and solve this cha- in solving this challenge. And so uh, we love seeing that. We love employers coming in with challenges, uh, introducing to the students, and then the aha moment when they see the results and the findings and the final presentations that students are presenting. And on the student side, we see the development. Students are able to list it on their resumes. They're able to talk about it in interviews. They have something new to bring to the table. And I think there is something exciting about having a fresh experience that is removed from what you know I used to do um, two years ago prior to coming to the United States. So it's more recent, relevant with a, you know, a big name company. Um, and so it's, it's very, very exciting. And it's a way for us to definitely generate a pipeline of employers that we build um, meaningful relationships with through those kind of engagements. Yeah, so I can maybe answer more what makes uh, a good project, right? Because I get to see all the issues uh, arising throughout. Um, And yeah, I guess just to put it simply, about two to three projects a quarter, we have an outside company come in and they give us data that they don't have an answer to, 
right? They have data and a question that they don't have an answer to. They don't have the data science team. They don't know exactly how to approach it, uh, which happens more often than you would think, right? Uh, in very large companies. And then, yeah, we, uh, me, Shani, some other people on the team, uh, vet students, they apply, they go through an interview process, a technical interview process, and we hand select specific students that are qualified for that given task, right? Whether it's more presentation based or, um, you know, more creative based or uh, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever their skills uh, lend themselves to, we handpick the students. And then over, you know, eight to 12 weeks, we take the students through, uh, that applied project. And really, I think the two things that, that make not a good project is when the data doesn't come slow right? or when the data comes slow because happens more often than not, there's an issue. It comes from this department or that department. And uh, we actually can't start working until we have the data. So uh, that's pushed projects back you know, four weeks uh, before. And then the other issue is if they don't, know what they want, right? If they don't have a specific question that they want an answer to, it becomes uh, much more difficult from an exploratory uh, standpoint, right? Because it's such a limited amount of time. They just have a bunch of data and they, you know, go, how is this profitable, right? Uh, we can go in a direction, you know, for a week or two of very detailed analysis, just to realize, you know, there's, there's not much um, in that direction. So when people have a very specific question, um, and have the data ready, that's what makes, makes for amazing products. Um, without saying the names of the company under NDA, some like general things of what we've done, we built, uh, you know, like a suggestion engine, right? That's deployed um, to find similar products. So Sam, I completely agree with some of the challenges that you see with project-based work in terms of no data or getting the right access to data. Um, and then, you know, maybe having a stakeholder where they haven't clearly defined the business problems and what they're looking for. One of the questions I have is how do you overcome the challenge of, you know, you provide this great solution and you hand it back over, but does that team really have the ability to implement it in production, to be able to maintain it? Um, are these kind of just more of like insights, case studies to point people in the right directions? How do you overcome some of those challenges with like, you know, long-term sustainability of a model or, you know, the production and the, the maintenance that is needed there? I So I was having a call with a team uh, who they actually hired as interns because they couldn't agree on the NDAs, right? UCLA and whatever. So they hired as interns, but I'm still helping them uh, walk through the project. And I had this conversation with them too. I go, you're going to give them the final deliverable, but really they're only going to be able to execute on it if they hire one of you. You know, it, it takes... Uh, one example of one component they're working with, uh, one of the people said they were working on it for three years, right? And they still haven't even gotten it widespread throughout the company, right? So uh, it also reminds me of a lunch Shani and I had with a CEO and he was saying, he goes, yeah, we've done these applied projects with Harvard even, and uh, was it MIT? Uh, maybe just Harvard. And, and he goes, 
the stu- the value we get from them is really being able to vet possible employees. I think that's, to be honest, how a lot of employers see this. They see it as um, we'll do a lot of the vetting for them, build them a team. Then they get to see how the individual works, right, within a team on a project and so forth. And then... Uh, give offers, and it'll actually save them a ton of time and money as opposed to having to hire interns, do a complete onboarding process, or hire an employee to find out, oh, this isn't the right person for the job, right? And then on the other side, it gives the student the perfect opportunity to see, do I actually want to work at this company, right? We've had applied projects where uh, we do a second tier and a, a bunch of people want to keep working on it, right? They, they love the data. They love the project. They love the team. And we've had other ones where we go, hey, does anyone want to come back for round two? And everybody goes, no, right? We don't like working with, with this product. And, and so it's, it's sort of like a dual, uh, dual interview process. It's like a dual extended interview process where the student could see, do I really want to work for this company? You know what I mean? Uh, in a non-committal way. And the company says, do we really want to uh, hire any of these students? Uh, which ones do we like? And, um, you know, be, be able to vet them over, over eight to 10 weeks. So we actually find a lot of uh, the people leading these projects are related to hiring, right? Their, their goal is in hiring and so forth. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, we see something similar within women in data. We have a residency program where we do, you know, an eight-week project for a company or a nonprofit organization, a government. And, you know, one of the best things is really interviewing for both sides, right? From the people working on the project to the people who are the project stakeholders. And, you know, I think there's a lot of employee turnover. If you can kind of get that experience where you get to know each other first in a working setting helps to make that long-term impact, not only from the employer standpoint, but also as an employee to really get that insight is, is this somewhere that I want to go as well? So I think that's a great outcome and, and really summarized well. So one of the things that I hear frequently from industry partners is just like, how do we get more involved with academia? Like we know there's this treasure trove of knowledge and information and research and work that's being done. Like, I'd love to get both of your opinion of like, what's the best way for industry and academia to really come together and and work together to solve some of the big challenges we have um, and do that through the tools of technology? Yeah, I think uh, reach out would be one of the uh, invitations that I'd like to extend there are some incredible individuals and companies that they simply reach out. Our information is listed on our uh, MQE website. The link can be uh, shared with the audience as well. Uh, they reach out, they request to have a conversation. We are very responsive. Uh, we are happy to connect in person and virtually. We can come on site to the uh, company or invite them to campus. We. Uh, have a wide portfolio of opportunities to engage with too, right? And so, and I feel that our our uh, program provide a customized approach, we, which is quite rare. And so that's a massive opportunity. It can look like many different things and it can look like whatever you want it to look like, right? And we're so agile and flexible and willing, innovative, 
entrepreneurial in our nature. And so, you know, an employer might say he wants to hire the six uh, students that were on the project, on the applied project that Sam is working on with the students, or they can say, I'd like you to help me build an internship um, pipeline or, you know, talent pipeline of students, and I'll focus on that instead. Um, and I, I think it's about raising your hand, you know, the employer and saying, hey, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of outreach, but it will be really nice to hear from industry, from companies that want to tap into this type of expertise and knowledge and academic, um, um, you know, information that can really be useful in, in the business space. Yeah. And I will say while the uh, sort of, uh, application of the results into the business, it might be difficult in like very bureaucratic systems and so forth. But I will say our results are, can change companies around um, in big ways. Um, and definitely a fresh set of eyes on like an old company. Uh, those insights go a long way. We're looking at one company whose data is decentralized in a bad way across four or five different departments. And so to build this model for them, we have to integrate with like four or five different departments. And so, you know, the outputs of uh, what the interns are creating is really leading them to create their global database and so forth. So these are things that, uh, you know, legacy systems and, and people are really interested in uh, getting from our students. So. Well, I'm excited to hear more about these collaborations. I think it, you know, there are so many challenges we have to solve in this world and the, the tools of technology are really what enable that change. But more importantly, it's the people coming together, um, working behind these problems and using those tools that we make a big impact. So thank you both for your leadership in this space to open up that collaboration and open up those pathways because I think that's how we really start to move forward and make the change that we want to see in the world. So as we wrap up today, I'd like to just ask one final question because we're always thinking a little futuristic here. Um, from the both of you, though, just of what excites you the most in terms of the future of education and technology? Well, many things, and, and I'll start with... Um, how the pandemic just changed everything, you know, and so leading teams remotely and virtually, uh, teaching students uh, from, you know, our homes and to any place they are around the world and using technology to uh, engage and connect and teach and learn, I think is fascinating how it impacts the field and what uh, got created, the platforms and the tools and the systems that are now available to do that. It's quite exciting. And I attend a lot of professional conferences and I learn about how this is really the future, you know, whether we like it or not. And so the appreciation to when we come in person and we spend time together, I think it escalates to a new level of excitement and the love for people and for building relationships. Sam and I spend time together meeting with leaders in, in different industries. And it's just a celebration of, you know, what's possible and fun conversations over lunch and welcoming them to campus. But then we can be with you, Sadie, today and sharing about our, you know, our program and learn about your association 
you know, and the three of us are in three separate places. And so I don't think it was available before. And so I'm super excited about the type of individuals that hopefully can pursue education in the future. If they're in Ghana or in Thailand or Brazil or in the U.S., they all, you know, can really uh, have access to this knowledge. And, and I think that's super exciting. Uh, we're doing some work in the veteran space, which I'm super passionate about. And so when you ask about, you know, what excites you about education is how it really can um, transform a person's life, right? And take them from point A to point, you know, Z uh, in, in nine or 18 months and seeing someone at where they are and to complete an education and be, you know, making $100,000 a year with a one year of work experience. I think that's amazing and exciting. And I am super committed to impact communities of underrepresented uh, individuals and internationals and domestics and who, whomever you are, you know, know that this is a, you know, an exciting pathway to a future of possibilities that sometimes you cannot even imagine that is available to you until you pursue it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to agree with Shani too. I think the digitization of education is really going to be a, a massive change in the world. Uh, especially for underprivileged nations and so forth, right? Now, MIT has its open coursework and there's so many university courses you can take online and, and so forth. And so I'm really excited for that. I guess in the same vein of, you know, some of these countries uh, being uplifted by education and so forth, I think an application of blockchain uh, it's already being used, I believe, in one African school of putting diplomas and certifications onto the blockchain so they can't be forged. Uh, I think this creates a huge opportunity for other people, right? Somebody's applying from a third world country to UCLA and UCLA goes, I've never heard of this school. How can I trust this transcript, right? Uh, blockchain's a solution for that because it's immutable, unchangeable, and so forth. So, I mean, that's just one piece in ed tech uh, that I think is, you know, very uplifting in the same vein uh, Shani and I were talking about. Um, and I would say, you know, outside of the traditional uh, academic system, I've been seeing a lot of accelerators and incubators pop up throughout Los Angeles for non-traditional education routes for people who just really have a passion for a specific thing and and want to gain mentors in that field and you know uh, don't want to go traditional way so at least uh in los angeles it's it's la tech week um i'm very excited to see you know a flourishing of of non-traditional education as well even though uh you know we're we're in the university space but yeah, I think it's a very exciting time um, in education when we combine education with technology and the access and opportunity that brings it together. So thank you again for coming on and sharing your thoughts and the exciting work that you're doing. Um, as we wrap up today, what's the best way for individuals to connect with each of you if they want to learn more? LinkedIn is uh, the number one tool, I feel, for networking. And so you can find myself and Sam uh, online um, on LinkedIn, send a message, uh, request to connect, or by email, and we're happy to share our emails as well. 
um, I think that would be the fastest way and we're very responsive and look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, same. Email would be a little bit faster, but LinkedIn works just as well. Both will be shared. Perfect. Well, we'll be sure to share those in the show notes. Um, again, thank you for coming on the Data Bytes podcast. This has been a pleasure. Thank you, Sadie. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, a big thank you for tuning in again today. Remember to stay curious and keep learning, and we will catch you next time. If you enjoyed today's conversation on the Data Bytes podcast, we welcome you to continue the conversation and join our global community by becoming a member at womenindata.org. All Data Bytes listeners receive 20% off using the promo code DATABYTES20.